Good morning, CHF gang and those who might be following along on YouTube with our uh, Galatians series. Uh, good to be with you here today on Tuesday morning of Holy Week. Um, just about to get into the real uh, swing of things for Holy Week, of course, um, you know, for myself and I'm sure for uh, many of you, especially pastors out there. Um, you're getting ready for Maundy Thursday services and Good Friday services and, of course, Easter services and all sorts of other things. I hope uh, those of you watching today and listening today uh, have a chance to attend uh, at least a Good Friday service and uh, an Easter service uh, this, this weekend just to, to really get your heart and your mind focused on the good news of Jesus Christ and all that he does for us, both the bad news of, of what our sin uh, has caused and also the good news, the law and the gospel um, that we find so prevalent this week in the church's calendar. Uh, good morning to you all. I see Chris and Barb and Nancy and uh, looks like Bonnie and Danielle. Good morning to all of you. Good to be with you again today. So, so today we are in Galatians chapter 3. And I want to begin with a uh, with a very basic question, and that is, are you absolutely certain, absolutely assured, that you are indeed a Christian? Or to maybe state it in another way, in you know the sort of evangelism explosion language that uh, was so prevalent back in the day, uh, are you absolutely certain that when you die? that you'll go to heaven, that you'll actually end up there. Um, in a <clears throat> fairly recent article, a little while back, uh, Sinclair Ferguson, great reformed teacher and scholar, uh, shared an interesting bit of history. About 450 years ago, after the initial Protestant Reformation, the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church responded with what was known, or what's come to be known as the Counter-Reformation, a group of uh, Catholic theologians gathered to discuss how they might uh, respond to the Protestant movement and to make sure they had consensus on the areas that they uh, disagree with Protestants on, which <laughs> there were a lot. Uh, and one of the chief architects of this Counter-Reformation uh, was a man named Cardinal Robert Bellarmine. And as he surveyed all the areas in which they thought the Protestants were heretical, and again, there were so many, uh, he once made this statement. He once said, the greatest of all Protestant heresies is assurance. Assurance. Now, you might think, well, no, it's our view of justification by faith. You might think it's, you know, our diminishment of the priesthood. It's, you know, I mean, there's a whole other, a whole bunch of things, but no. Or, our, or frankly, the diminishment of the, of the Pope. But no, he says, no, the, the chief heresy is that we Protestants teach that one can be absolutely certain, can be assured that when they die, they will go to heaven. He said, that's the biggest problem. And yet... If you look at the poll results of any group of born-again Christians, of those who would say they are born-again Christians, which, by the way, all Christians are born-again Christians. There's no subset of born-agains as opposed to non-born-agains. Uh, you'll find that the vast majority of them, when they're asked the question, are you sure you'll go to heaven, don't actually say yes, but rather, and I hope so. Following by usually a listing of their various good deeds. So 
here's what here's what so much of evangelical Christianity has basically taught, even though the first Protestants were nailed for teaching assurance being such a hot issue thing, it was the issue for Luther for sure. Um, now we have traded that away and we have taught people basically something like this. Sure, uh, when you pray the prayer at the altar call, it is solely by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you are saved. But then you have to stay in by all the things you do. The way that you can know you're sure after you've prayed that prayer or after you've been baptized or how whatever, whatever tradition you're coming from, I'm assuming I'm talking to the wider evangelical world, what has been taught, the overwhelming message is you can only be sure if you look inside of yourself and see that you've got enough good works to prove that you have indeed been re regenerated, reborn, and are indeed walking with the Lord. That is the overwhelming view. And it's, it's subconscious, it's not purposeful, but it is the overwhelming view. And our chapter today in Galatians deals with that issue. Paul says, instead of looking within for your assurance, which will never give, a, give you assurance, by the way, he says, no, 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 you have to go, you have to look outside. You have to look to four very, very crucial things. You have to remember some very, very important things for you to have assurance. So that's the question we're dealing with. Where does Christian assurance come from for Paul? So Paul begins, uh, Paul begins with these words in the third chapter, maybe with the harshest language in the entire New Testament. Quote, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, the words there uh, for fool and bewitched are extremely strong. The word fool doesn't merely mean, you know, like an intellectual idiot, um, but someone who knows a truth and then willfully turns away from it. Like they know what is right and they choose the wrong anyway. Paul says it's like the Galatian church is hypnotized. They've been cast under a spell, bewitched by someone. Now, why is it so astounding that this is happening? Well, because Paul goes on to say it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, the word publicly portrayed would be the modern equivalent of maybe uh, a billboard you pass on your way to work. I mean, it's impossible for you not to see it. You can't miss it. Jesus' crucifixion, and by extension, what it accomplished, Paul says, was clearly preached to you, was clearly shown to you. Paul says, Galatians, didn't you hear me when I told you Jesus said it is finished? He meant what he said. He meant what he said. It is finished. And so by extension, the Galatians are in some sense, turning away from the sacrifice that has been made for them that we celebrate this very week. Paul essentially says, you got it, and now you're turning from it being enough. The Galatians have forgotten the centrality of the cross, and so from the very beginning, Paul calls, those, calls them back to look to that moment, to the cross and what it accomplished. Remember, Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Second, Paul also says assurance comes from remembering your conversion. Look at verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
In other words, don't you remember? It was after, it wasn't after you kissed a hundred steps crawling on your knees that God finally delivered the goods to you. It wasn't after you proved that you were worthy enough, that, that your actions were good enough, that you finally were allowed to become a Christian. No, he came upon you through the word and you believed it. That was it. It was that simple. Now, for some of you watching this, that may have happened in your baptism, even as, as a wee babe. You most certainly didn't do anything when you were brought to the Lord in those waters. You were simply brought to him by another. But the same is true even if you prayed to receive Jesus at an altar call somewhere or with a friend somewhere. It was always the same thing. It was simply by hearing with faith and boom, God delivered you. God started the work in you, so why wouldn't he continue the work in you? Listen again to Colossians chapter 1, verses 13. One of my favorite verses says this, He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Folks, who is doing them verbs? Who's doing all those verbs? God and God and some more God. So no matter what your testimony of conversion is, that is still the case. Now, uh, some will say, but Eric, I, I know some people that have had amazing stories of God's deliverance. They were, you know, addicts or alcoholics or abusers or criminals, and God saved them. They saved their family, and today they're new people. But me, you know, my life's pretty boring. I always went to church growing up. I can't really remember a time I didn't believe and never rebelled against my parents, really. I mean, I didn't do that much. So I just can't get that excited about my conversion. Well, I'll grant you, yes, some have vastly more dramatic testimonies than others. But let me assure you, dear viewer, the essential facts are the same for all of us. Fact, you were born into sin, a rebel against God. Fact, you were on your way to condemnation without any hope at all. Fact, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you, even when you were dead in trespasses, made you alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. By the way, I am straight up just quoting Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 to you about you because it's about you. So, if you believe in Jesus Christ, that's your testimony. It doesn't matter whether you were a drug-addicted abuser and then came to the Lord or you were a homeschooling mom focusing on making a better scrapbook. It's all the same gospel for everyone. All right. So let's look at the third reason, third thing Paul says to look at for assurance. And he says, remember God's unchanging nature. Verse 3, are you so foolish, Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Or in other words, having begun by simply being a receiver of the word, saying, okay, I accept it, now you think you're going to be perfected by your own strength? He goes on, verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain? Uh, meaning persecution for their belief that it was by faith alone, apart from their works that they were saved and spirit-filled, if indeed it was in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit, verse 5, to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
In other words, you think the way God began working in you, simply by hearing with faith, has all of a sudden changed to your marvelous works? No way. No way. He doesn't do a bait and switch on you. I know, I know many of you have been in churches where you felt like that was exactly what happened, and frankly, it probably did. You got the bait and switch. You were told that it was all free, that it was grace, 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 grace. And then you got in there and man, all of a sudden the rules just piled up more and more and more. And you began to believe that you had to have some skin in the game. And that's, that's natural for us. Our desire to add something to the finished work of Jesus Christ is constant. As Luther says, quoting or talking about this passage, if God were willing to sell his grace, we would accept it more quickly and gladly than when he offers it for nothing. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to read that again because it's so good. If God were willing to sell his grace, we would accept it more quickly and gladly than when he offers it for nothing. It's like sort of, the, you know, like the gospel is, uh, you know, this modern day equivalent of like, the you know, the free couch that you see on the side of the road. If somebody puts the sign free, then you're like, yeah, there's probably something wrong with it. I, I don't trust it. But if somebody's like 10 bucks, you're like, oh, that's a great deal. It, it, this is our problem. That's not the way this whole gig works, folks. The gospel really is free. It's for nothing. It's it's given. It's gift. We just receive it. Um, he's your good shepherd, gang, and he will lead you, his sheep, home, no matter what comes. Um, I remember... You know, little while back just as a perfect illustration of like how dedicated God is to finishing the job he's begun in you uh at, you know this this picture of shepherd and sheep uh, a, a while back I came across this picture of this very beaten and and bedraggled man from from Iraq and his village had been attacked by uh ISIS and and he was a shepherd and so when ISIS uh came after his village he did everything he could to save his sheep and he was asked about that and he said this in the interview it just was, it was so great he said i let isis cut off my head before abandoning my sheep he's not going to let you go on your own folks he's with you to the end it's his work this is about his glory he's going to save you because it's about his glory folks for him to save you. His glory is to be holding you up as a trophy of his grace. See, look what I did. I took a bunch of rebels and made them my children. All right. One more thing. Paul says, assurance in the Christian life comes from four things. Remembering the cross, remembering your conversion, or the way Luther would say it is remember your baptism all the time, you know. Uh, remember his unchanging nature. And then Finally, remember, remember his word. This is so key in all that we're talking about. Remember, the Judaizers were saying of Paul that he was changing the message of the scriptures. They were saying that his message was a foreign new message from what they had known, and the Galatians were buying it. And so Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm not making up anything new here. The scriptures have always taught that life with God begins and ends with faith. And to show this, he appeals to the very father of the faith all the way back in Genesis with Abraham, the father of Judaism. He says in verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, in the same way that I have been proclaiming to you that it is by faith alone, in Christ alone, that you will be saved, 
so too God said the same thing to our forefather. Now, Paul here is directly quoting from Genesis 15. And in that passage, God appears to Abraham and makes all sorts of outlandish promises to him that he, a man nearing 100 years old, married to a woman 90 years old, will bear a son and, and that from that son will come a nation and that from that nation there will come one who will be a blessing to all nations. And then we read in that passage the verse that was just quoted by Paul. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You know, there, there are some people uh, out there that basically teach that God saved people one way in the Old Testament, namely by their works and their obedience to the covenant. And then in the New Testament, he started saving people by grace through faith. Verses like this blow that thinking out of the water. People ask me regularly, before Christ came, how did God save people? And my answer is always the same. The same way he's always saved people, people through faith in the promise of salvation. Through faith in his promise of salvation, you are counted as righteous in his sight. The word there for counted means credited or imputed with righteousness. Whose righteousness? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes on, um, Paul continues, verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Not, not whether somebody is physically descended from Abraham. Paul makes this case in Romans and in Galatians. He says it's not, not about the physical descendancy, it's about the faith. Do you have the same faith that Abraham did to believe God that his promise to you is true, that he will save you, that he will finish the job he started in you? Verse 8, and the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, this same faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Do you hear that? Paul refers to the promise made to Abraham as the gospel, the good news, evangelismi. That's the, the word in Greek. I'm terrible in Greek, but uh, you, you get the sense. It's, it's the same word, gospel. It's always been the gospel and only the gospel that saves so verse 9, then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul says, church, wake up from the spell you're under and lean on Christ for assurance. Remember the cross, remember your conversion, remember his unchanging nature, remember the scriptures. What ultimately matters is what God says, Christian, not your feelings, not your insecurities, not your failures, not your sins, but his promise that those who repent and trust in Jesus Christ will be saved. It's all, all gift from start to finish. I'll wrap this up right now. Um, <clears throat> with one of my favorite stories of how this assurance sounds. And the big, it's such a subtle and yet huge distinction. One of my professors in seminary uh, told a story once about a trip he had taken back to um, his ancestral country to see some of his relatives. And I'm not, I'm not sure if he was just converted or uh, just pumped up to share the gospel, but it, it, for, in any case, he was just very zealous to get out and make sure that all of his relatives were saved. And on one occasion, he had a chance to talk to his 
one of his old aunts about Jesus. And so he said, Auntie, do you know Jesus? And at first she said nothing. She just stayed silent. So he asked her again with a little more urgency, Auntie, do you know Jesus? And again, silence. So now his tone really went up. Auntie, I need to know, do you know Jesus? And finally she looked at him and said quietly, Jesus knows me. That, my friends, is what we base our assurance on. Or as Paul says, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. All right, gang. I hope you are filled with confidence and assurance this week because that's the whole reason Jesus came. That's why he went through what he went through this week so that you could live with a certain confidence that on that last day, not based on what you've done, but totally based on what he's done, you will be saved. You are being saved now and you have been saved. God bless. We'll see you next week.